0: The future of fitness is here. Be a part of it. NASM's new virtual coaching course will equip you with the skills, tools, and strategies necessary to launch, operate, or transition your current fitness or wellness business to a successful virtual coaching business. As a virtual coaching specialist, you'll open yourself up to a whole new world of opportunities. Being able to help clients from around the world, anywhere and anytime. It's the ultimate flexibility as a trainer while also creating new revenue streams. Start the next phase of your training career with NASM's virtual coaching specialization. Sign up today at nasm.org or call 1-800-460-6276. You're listening to the
1: NASM CPT Podcast with Rick Ritchie, the official podcast of the National hey, Academy of welcome Sports to the Medicine. NASM
0: CPT Podcast. What's going on everybody? My name is Rick Ritchie and I am joined today by a friend of mine who started at NASM just a year before I did. So uh, if, if you think that I'm a veteran of NASM then this guy has definitely been pushing the content longer than I have. And not only that, he's written content, he's been on some of our educational videos, he's been a subject matter expert, he's been an educator for NASM for years, he is Uh, adjunct faculty at California University of Pennsylvania, CalU. If I'm not mistaken, he's also written courses for CalU. With that being said, let me introduce my friend and colleague, Tony Ambler-Wright. What's going on, Tony? What's up, dude? How are you? Living the dream, man. It's good to be back in business. Gyms are open back up, and uh, in New York City at least. So I'm, I'm happy for that. We're only at a third capacity, but I'll take what I can get.
1: Yeah, for sure. I'm happy for you. I'm trying to think the last time I was on as a guest was not long after the pandemic started.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. So
1: uh, how time Yeah, how yeah, time I'll, I'll
0: take it. Man, It's it's been tough. And the fact that we're getting you back on this show again is pretty exciting. Um, so thanks for doing it. One of the things that we're doing is having you back on the show. Uh, We got a great reception from you the first time, but we also wanted to not only um, have this experience again and bring you back, but we also know that you are going to be teaching at Optima. And the Optima conference is taking place very soon. Some people, by the time they listen to this, they will already come and gone. Um, And for them, We want to have you listen to what's going on, what you're going to be talking about. But, you know, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater today when you talk about what you're going to talk about at your conference. But tell us a little bit about what you're doing at the conference, what you're speaking on, why you did it. Like, why did you choose these particular topics? And uh, we'll get into the meat of it. Um the first one is called Let's Get Dynamic, Decoding the Dynamic Functional Warm-Up. Where did that come from? And what marketing agency did you hire to write that tagline?
1: Yeah. Well, Rick, you know, if you know me, I'm Mr. Dynamic. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who better who better to teach that than than me, right? So uh, yeah, and I guess I'll preface by saying, you know, happy to be back on. Thank you for the opportunity and the, the very warm welcome. Uh, it's always great to catch up with you. Uh, we don't do it often enough, so agreed. I'm, uh, I'm excited to uh, to wrap with you for a few minutes, and um, yeah, I'm super excited about Optima. I know we're uh, we're going virtual this year, but uh, I just know how hard our, our live events team and and marketing teams have worked behind the scenes to ensure that the event is going to be just uh, a tremendous experience for our attendees, and and uh, I'm excited to see how it all goes off. So yeah, me too. Yeah, so it should be fun. Uh, all right. So let's get dynamic. The, uh, you know, it's interesting. I think um, the original title for the Prezo was just decoding the dynamic functional warmup. And then uh, I think it was Chris Miller actually on our live events team that, uh, that added the let's get dynamic. to the ah, but, yeah, That, that um,
0: sounds like a good Chris Miller touch. It, for does. Sure.
1: it does. Yeah. Uh, totally appropriate. Um, coming from Chris. So you know, the, the whole premise behind, you know, the the topic was getting trainers and, and other professionals to really think about the warm-up process with intention. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think sometimes it's overlooked. And in our material specifically at NASM, I, I feel we do a good job kind of outlining the the warm-up process and some of the different components that can go into it. But uh, as it relates to flexibility techniques and uh, leveraging core balance training, even reactive and, and plyometric exercises, SAQ. I know you had Brian on a few days ago and he was yeah. highlighting some of the updates to the the model that, that have been made. Yeah. Um, but I think uh, still it's kind of viewed as um, maybe not necessarily an afterthought, but I think that. Um, the warm up process itself can be a little bit more intentional and uh, can be given uh, a little bit more thought as it relates not only to your your client's goals and maybe the session outcomes and session goals, but also the uh, the demands that your clients are going to have to contend with and, and compete with. And so, really, it was just to kind of take a holistic look at the warm up process, the the uh, the premise behind it is uh, it really adapted from a protocol by Dr. Ian Jeffries called RAMP. And um, I'm not sure if, you, if you've if you heard of that or familiar with it, but- uh, I,
0: I've heard of it and I've heard his name before, but I'm actually not familiar with it. So you know how it is, hearing something and really knowing the base of it uh, are not necessarily the same. So I'm actually really digging this education I'm getting right now, so keep going.
1: Yeah. So when I thought, you know, when you think of the, the intention of a warm up is to kind of ramp up somebody's uh, body to get them ready to, to perform. Right. And so his his process, his ramp process is an acronym for uh, four distinct components. One is raise is the first one. And essentially, you're just doing light activity to elevate the body's core temperature, respiratory rate, energy systems and so forth. And then the, the next two components are activate and mobilize. And then the final step is potentiate. And so he's kind of outlined this four step process to optimize an individual's preparation for activity. And so, um, you know, that really resonated with me and um, how we like to do things at NASM. We systematize everything. For sure. And, <laughs> and have processes for everything. And so, uh, what I did is I kind of adapted um, my topic and, and my view on uh, the dynamic warmup process from, from that four-step RAMP uh, protocol. And so um, I use the same acronym RAMP, but uh, instead of RAISE as the first step, our first step is going to be restore or reset range of motion. And, you know, that kind of falls in line with our uh, approach at NASM to Preparing the body to uh, to perform, preparing the body for activity by identifying areas that may need greater ranges of motion and implementing myofascial techniques and flexibility techniques to uh, to address that. And really, the the purpose behind that is to optimize somebody's mobility potential. So when you think about the warm up and preparation for whatever the, the upcoming or impending demands are going to be, we want to ensure that the client or the athlete has the ability to move through the ranges of motion that they need to uh, during that particular activity in order to, to maximize their performance. So, you know, that's the first step. And cut me
0: off if uh, if I talk too much, obviously, you know. I'm, I'm taking notes. Yeah. I mean, as you're talking, I'm literally at my keyboard on my notes <laughs> app and I'm putting these in my, This, I, this is, I love the job, man. I've learned from people, having you on, Fabio, come like just talk. I'm taking notes, go for it.
1: Cool. Well, you know, I'm glad you prefaced by saying, don't uh, don't give away too much because you know me, I'll, I'll talk to you <laughs> later.
0: Um, <clears throat> the term loquacious comes to mind. <laughs> so, <laughs> go
1: ahead. Uh, So anyway, that's the first step. Restore um, range of motion. And so we would leverage, uh, you could leverage assessment results for that, right? Based on movement assessments or mobility assessments. You could also uh, leverage the patterns or the the, uh, demands that are going to be placed on the client. Let's say you're going to be doing a particular workout with them uh, in the gym. Uh, We'll just say, let's say uh, a horizontal pushing, horizontal pulling, and let's say more of a knee dominant uh, lower extremity exercise day well based on those particular patterns we know that the shoulder has to have good range of motion through horizontal abduction you have to have good thoracic rotation maybe good thoracic extension and then in the lower body in particular you have to have uh, adequate dorsiflexion and so those are the areas that maybe you want to address or emphasize with that first step from a mobility perspective, just giving somebody the potential to move through ideal ranges of motion for those particular patterns so that they can maximize what they do when they're pulling, uh, pushing, and and uh, either squatting or lunging or stepping, uh, stepping up. So, That's the, that's the first step, restore or, you know. Uh,
0: And restore is, is it solely done through things like foam rolling or are there other means and methods of which you would be utilizing this in a, in this kind of dynamic pitch?
1: Yeah, so I think um, for the the fitness environment, you would use a combination of myofascial techniques. So uh, perhaps rolling, and then also included in this would be your flexibility techniques, whether it's static stretching and or active stretching techniques. Uh, however, as a, you know, manual therapist yourself, um, you know, if working with clients, you can utilize hands on manual therapy techniques to prepare the body for Activity, so you yeah. can um, open up that range of motion potential through through those means too. Okay, and um, you know, in terms of static stretching, I, I can already anticipate getting questions about static stretching prior. And I'm to- sure.
0: I don't even see the thread right now, but I'm sure Greg is like boop, 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 well, all the all the things popping right. up about static stretching before you exercise, and you're talking about the dynamic warm up. Yeah, so are you talking about static stretching in a dynamic warmup? Believe and can, that, you, yeah. can you talk about that, static stretching? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh,
1: yes, I am. And, and that's where, again, this all comes down to intention. Uh, it mm-hmm. all comes down to looking at your client as, or athlete as an individual and, and kind of addressing those needs specifically. Um, notice I said, you know, active flexibility techniques could also be incorporated here. So um, if you're not a fan of static stretching, as part of this process, you could certainly um, replace that with an active flexibility technique or active stretching technique. But, um, you know, the research is fairly conclusive uh, on the the impact of static stretching and dynamic uh, performance measures, uh, whether it's strength or power. Um, As long as the stretch is held 60 seconds or less, you're really not going to see any significant decrease in, in your performance outcomes. And, um, you know, I don't know anybody who holds a static stretch for 60 seconds, even if they're told to hold it yeah. for 50 seconds. you can to
0: get it. my clients to hold a 30-second stretch for 20 seconds.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so you're lucky if you're going to get that 20 to 30-second to hold, which, um, yeah. you know, the research supports or shows that uh, you're not really going to negatively impact whatever your performance outcomes are going to be. So we wanna be targeted and, and very specific in the muscles that we that we statically stretch. We're not gonna just arbitrarily stretch um, a bunch of uh, muscles for the sake of doing it. We want to make sure that it's aligned with the client's assessment results, as well as the, the movement demands that uh, that they're gonna have to contend with during the session uh, or practice or activity or whatever it is they're getting ready for. So um, yeah, so that's the first step. And then the second step is activate. So um, we want to activate the muscles uh, around those joints that we just uh, freed up and 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 opened up to enhance range of motion. And you know this is part of that process where there's a difference between there's a difference between what somebody can achieve passively and what they can control actively. And that's the whole concept behind mobility, is that just because I've given somebody greater ranges of motion in different positions and at different joints doesn't mean that they can leverage that uh, during a dynamic activity or during a dynamic task. So we want to step by step and progressively prepare the body to be able to take advantage of those improvements in range of motion. So that's where the second step comes in, where we're going to activate muscles that will help to support the ranges of motion needed during the activity but we're gonna do so in such a way that is uh, going to gradually ramp up the intensity of the activities. So typically we're gonna, if uh, you know, if you're looking at at kind of the NASM approach to things, this would be more isolated activation work. This is where you could incorporate some core stabilization techniques, hip stabilization, uh, just lower threshold activities that um, just target specific areas of the body that are going to, uh, going to be working during the, the working session, if you will. So, um, you know, keeping with the, uh, the example that, that I brought up earlier, um, that could be something like, you know, okay, we've just opened up a restored, uh, range of motion at the ankle into dorsiflexion. Well, now we want to do some simple activation exercises for the anterior tibialis, maybe the posterior tibialis to um, really get the nervous system and the the muscles working through that new range of motion uh, in more of a lower threshold, lower demand task. And once we reestablish that coordination and that control locally, then we can get into larger, uh, more dynamic patterns uh, to further reinforce that range of motion
0: so that reminds me of a term that, that we used to have in our texts. I don't think we have it anymore. And Shirley Saruman, uh, a wonderful uh, physical therapist and a researcher at a university level, she did great work and I've had several of her books, used something, uh, a, a phrase called naive flexibility.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: that was, you know, being able to have a range of motion. But if you don't have the strength to move through that range of motion, what's the point? Right, yep. so there's this naivety to the this flexibility. You're practicing some range of motion, but if you don't add the strength component to it, then it doesn't actually provide you any functional purpose.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, spot on. And you know, it's interesting. Uh, I'm trying to remember, I think it was in one of our text threads uh, last week. It was Frank Dukes doing the splits. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Greg, I think that was, uh, was that yours, Rick, or was it Greg's? Uh, That was Greg. Greg's got the good ones. That was a good one. Um, So, you know, if you think about uh, martial artists, which I know, you know, is, um, you know, you hold true to your heart, um, just with your backgrounds, just being able to do the the splits passively and getting into that range of motion uh, doesn't necessarily mean that you'd be able to um, kick somebody in the head, right? Which would require similar ranges of motion, but much more control from a dynamic stability and um, speed, uh, speed of movement perspective. And so you'll see that quite a bit. It kind of goes back to that, you know, what you're able to do passively doesn't, doesn't automatically translate to what you can do actively. And so this process just kind of reinforces that that thought, um, the, the thought behind that, and, and tries to kind of from a motor learning and, and coordination standpoint get the body uh, into the, the best position possible to, to be able to perform optimally. Okay. So uh, so that was a simple example at the ankle. And then you know in the upper extremity, if you think of you know if this is a client who's come into the gym, you know, a lot of people sitting behind their desk doing zoom calls and things. Uh, if we want to maximize their range of motion, not only eccentrically during their, their horizontal, um, pushing exercises, but also optimize what they're able to do with their, their pulling exercises. We want to ensure that they have good range of motion through the anterior shoulder, as well as good scapular control. So we might do, uh, things like a Cobra or any of your scapular stabilization exercises, whether that's Y's, T's, A's, I's, um, you know, whatever letter of the alphabet you, you feel like doing that day. So, so Nicole, um, What's that? Semicolons? Yeah, semicolons. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what they are. <laughs> so, uh, so that's our activate step. Really, you know, just lower intensity stuff. Um, focus on on precision technique and execution, and without compensation through whatever range of motion your client can control. And um, you know, again, this is where you could add core stability exercises as well. Any you know specific. Let's say glute or hip activation work. You know the sky's the limit, and and, and in the talk I'll get into that. You know it, it's really all about this framework, and I know you know Brian. You and Brian talked about this earlier in the week as far as being a, a principles-driven system. Yeah. Uh, by focusing principles are timeless, and so if you focus on the principles and you focus on the the system, you can plug and play um, and and adapt whatever. Your particular uh, knowledge, skills, and abilities um, pertain to you. Can you can plug and play all of that into into the system, provided that uh, you follow the the process, and uh, you should get similar outcomes. So while we may um, subscribe to and, and maybe um, you know utilize specific techniques more than others, it doesn't mean that that those uh, those others that are out there. Are uh, any less effective? You know, um, just put them into the right step, and and you should see similar results. So, um, yeah. So that's second one. Activate, nice. Then the third step is really kind of a general, um, broader term. Move. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's pretty general. Uh, Yeah. So with with, uh, the movement, uh, the movement step really is kind of where your more traditional dynamic stretching or dynamic flexibility exercises come into play. Um, You could um, you could perform a variety of different uh, total body movement patterns here. You're looking at increasing the complexity, increasing the demand of the activity as you get your athlete or client um, ready to to perform. And so it would be doing things, you know, if you think about the the restore, the first step, myofascial techniques, static stretching, even active stretching, typically done in more of a ground-based um, non-functional position. Activation exercises, very similar in, in terms of environment, lower, lower threshold, lower demand. You're doing things on the floor um, in less than functional positions. And then this third step move is where we get that integrated dynamic movement component in where now we're in an upright position, we're moving through all three planes of motion, we're performing multi-joint uh, movement patterns that are specific to the task that uh, that the client has to perform. And so uh, a variety of, of options would ensue um, and could be incorporated into this particular step. So you know think of anything like uh, Okay, going back to our example, we could do like a walking lunge with a twist. That would be a, an exercise that could be appropriate for this third step in the, in the warm-up process where now we've improved ankle range of motion. We've uh, worked and um, developed some local control by activating the anterior tibialis and uh, through that new range of motion. And now we have to get the body to utilize that functionally so we can do a a front lunge pattern where uh, with good form and technique, where now the knee is allowed to track toward the toes and where we're able to uh, work through that new range of motion, uh, dorsiflexion range of motion. And then, um, you know, that will help to prepare us for the rest of the lower extremity exercises that we might be doing in the in the workout or training session. And then in the upper extremity with the rotation, we're getting some dynamic stretching of the lat, um, which may assist us in what we're trying to do in the upper body, but you could do a variety of different patterns. You could do overhead reaches, you know, whatever the, whatever the, the demand would call for. What would
0: the tempo be on, on some of these things that you're talking about?
1: Yeah, great question. So the tempo could be, um, you know, generally it's going to be more of a moderate tempo. Uh, it doesn't have to be super slow and control, but we want to make sure that that we're not compromising form and technique, uh, for the sake of speed. So these are just going to be, um, these are going to be, uh, performed at just controlled coordinated speeds. Um, obviously that's going to be relative to the athlete or the client's potential. So there are going to be some individuals who can move faster with greater control, and uh, you can certainly allow them to do that. But I would say, you know, as part of the, if we're following this process, it's gonna be where the activation exercises might be more of a slower controlled tempo. This is gonna be more of a moderate speed tempo, just kind of a repeating uh, coordinated effort. As you know, again, if you think of, you know, some of your dynamic stretching exercises, um, you know, you can't do them super slowly. Um, and otherwise you'd be doing them forever. So, um, you know, it, it'll be, like I said, more of a moderate speed and right. then what's that?
0: But I gotcha. And one of the things that's interesting, um, I, I run into this one, particularly when I've taught the, the PES workshops our performance enhancement specialist workshops, where I like to talk about knowledge of results versus knowledge of performance knowledge of results and this is where because it's a PES class and it's a usually uh, a, a relatively athletic population everybody's trying to keep up with everybody else and let me show you how fast I can move my arms or if we're doing ladder drills look at me move my feet and it can be very sloppy can be a mm-hmm. lot of missteps and mess ups but they got to the end really quickly yeah and mm-hmm. and that's where I I try to stop people. I say, there's a knowledge of results. You you did it quickly. Congratulations, Mm -hmm. did it really quickly. But that's kind of, I equate it to lifting heavy weights in really bad form. You know, your results, did you get the weight up? Yes. How did the process look? It it looked terrible. It was really not a good performance, but the outcome did really well. Now, if you are a fan of football, you might watch it. Or a fan of fight sports, and you see a guy, and he just looks bad, but he gives a giant swing and knocks somebody else out. You're like, okay, he looked terrible, but he still won. Yeah. At the end of the day, you look at that athlete, you look at that person, and go, I don't know if I'd put my money on that person again because mm-hmm. the performance was not where it needs to be. So I try to tell people, is it it, is it a can't or a won't? Yeah. if if you can't perform it well, that's one thing, but if you're not performing it well, because you won't, because you won't slow down enough, because you won't change your tempo, because you won't pay attention to your form, Mm -hmm. all you want is to finish quickly. Then that's where I, as a coach have to have a big conversation with, with people because if I'm working with people in a PES that are gonna go out and coach the same things, they're gonna be dealing with the athletes and they're gonna to have to have this conversation with them. It's inevitable when you're working with athletic populations, even fit people, like just in like the fitness population, people want to give you what they think you want, yeah. which is, look how hard I can throw, look how fast I can do this. And we're usually on the other side going, there are a lot of really strong people. There are a lot of really fast people, but I'm most impressed with the ones who move well because moving well should be step one, adding speed to your movement, adding strength to your movement, adding power to your movement. That's all the stuff that that is pro- might already be innately there, Yeah. but getting that good form and adding that stuff to it. That's the direction that we should go. So anyway, that's uh, um, yeah. when you talked about the good form throughout the movement, and and I know when you talk about a dynamic warm up, people are just going to be sloppy, kicking their legs in the air, doing these dynamic Frankenstein's and things like that. Uh, it is important to pump the brakes and to focus on your movement. You've been in the industry a while, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: You know, yeah, we, yeah, we know all too well, but you're, you're absolutely right. I think um, just going back to that movement with intention piece and really, you know, you know, again, just looking at the warmup as another, as another opportunity to train and get good inputs into the body. You know, if right. you think, if you think about a warmup um, let's say you take 15 minutes um, person works out or trains four days a week and they, they spend 15 minutes just implementing a high quality intentional warm up over the course of uh, over the course of a training cycle 3 month cycle that's 12 hours of quality work that you're getting in just as a result of a of a planned dynamic warm up process that's executed well
0: did you do that math on the spot or did you already have that planned already, out
1: i already had that <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, i may i may uh, i may mention uh, those same numbers in my presentation <laughs> okay <laughs> um, The math works out well, you know, 15 times four is 60 and you know, that's an hour a week. So.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. All right. Good.
1: Trying to keep it simple. Um, have to, as I'm getting older, my brain's uh, not working like it used to, but, uh, yeah. So, um, focus on form and technique, uncompromising uh, attention to form and technique. And then the final step is our, uh, very similar to Dr. Jeffries is our potentiate step. And so, it's in that potentiate step where we're really priming. Uh, to this point, we certainly primed the nervous system and uh, neuromuscular system to uh, to get ready for whatever's to come, but it's this potentiate step where we're gonna dial up the intensity. Typically, this would involve uh, more dynamic uh, tasks, whether it's uh, jumping, bounding, mm-hmm. um, you know, medicine ball work something to really enhance the uh, nervous system activation and um, get the body primed for uh, for activity. Now, you know, the other way to look at this too is if you're in the gym. And you're getting ready for a training session. This could be performing warm ups. sets for whatever your, your working exercises are going to be too. So um, really um, Getting A little more specific um, in terms of the uh, getting the body prepared for the the upcoming demands and tasks so that potentiate step could encompass a variety of things um, but that might be something like um, performing a skips b skips high knees repeat squat jumps tuck jumps you know whatever whatever you feel is going to be most appropriate Um, could be some med ball stomps or slams um, you know rotational med ball uh, work, whatever, whatever it is, but this is where you're going to be moving at a little bit faster speed, still focusing on quality. And, um, you know, then, uh, at, at the conclusion of that, you'll, you'll be ready to go. Uh, okay. should have a bit of a sweat going, um, and, uh, the body should be primed and, and ready to work. So, okay.
0: so let just to, to re, um, to go through this again with those that that ramp that R A M P the the Tony Ambler right version, can yeah. you just go through and highlight those one more time, and then we'll get into your other one.
1: Yeah, no doubt. So the uh, first step in ramp is restore or reset range of motion, and we're going to utilize techniques such as my, uh, self myofascial techniques and uh, and various stretching techniques. Uh, like static or active these are going to be lower intensity techniques um, to optimize our client's mobility potential and so um, you can do that based on assessment results you can do it based on the whatever the needs are for the client on that particular day and then you're going to follow that with activate and in the activation step which you know if you notice Rick some of this is aligned with our ces uh, oh, yeah process as well as our updated OPT template. Uh, so there's a lot of congruency there, but in activate, what we're doing is we're, uh, using that as an opportunity to, um, enhance, uh, activation and coordination to specific muscles or muscle groups that either are going to support the range of motion demands and requirements of the, of the session to follow, or, um, that are going to uh, prepare the muscles that you're going to use uh, in a particular workout for the impending demands. So okay. the activate step doesn't always have to be tied to the range of motion piece, although um, that would be a good place to start. And then you want to you want to provide some additional inputs and exercises to prepare the the other muscles that you plan on challenging and stressing uh, throughout the throughout the workout. So if you think of the the demands of the activity you know what planes of motion what speeds of motion uh, what ranges and amplitudes of motion um, all of that should go into and feed your exercise selection for that activate step uh, because what I what I give a client who golfs may be drastically different than what I give a client who plays basketball uh, right. each of these steps so you have to you have to take a look at the the demand of the activity and let that guide your your process too. Yeah. The third step is just move, and through that movement, we're really talking about you know more dynamic, functional movements through the ranges of motion that your client can control actively. So we still want to focus on form and technique, make sure that you know everything is on point, and that the client isn't doing things. Um, uh, isn't moving in a way or getting into positions that they can't control and and have to compensate in order to to do. And you know, going back to what you talked about in the workshop, you know, I always remember Alan Cosgrove uh, years ago always said, you know, more isn't better, better is better. Yeah. And so, you know, that's always stuck with me. And and uh, you know, I think we have a responsibility to kind of ensure that as we as we lead our clients through these things. So focus on that quality of movement, not just the, the quantity or the amount of work uh, being done or the amount of motion being uh, performed. And then lastly, we have our potentiate step. So uh, in that in the move step, we're going to be uh, challenging the body in different planes through different ranges of motion and with different patterns that um, would likely uh, mimic or prepare the, the client for what they're going to be doing in their workout or training session or game, whatever the the situation is. And then the final step is potentiate where we just do something that's higher threshold, a um, little bit faster speed, greater demand uh, to get the nervous uh, nervous system primed and, and ready to go.
0: And I've heard this word potentiate before. Yeah. And uh, we we initially when I when I started NASM, we in, in the OPT model, the power phase or the max power phase, which kind of was sheared off a little bit and turned into its own performance enhancement specialist, uh, there was a, a – um, uh, before that, we get to this power phase where we do, in our current OPT model, this, this combination of doing a max strength exercise mm-hmm. supersetted with a dynamic plyometric exercise – yeah, and it's based off of this concept called post activation potentiation. Is yep. that the same use of that word?
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so potentiate basically that phenomenon of PAP. Um, we're leveraging we're leveraging that to a certain extent. We're just using different means, um, but but you're exactly right. By potentiating the the neuromuscular system, you're essentially performing a higher intensity activity that demands a greater, uh, a greater amount of motor unit recruitment. And, you know, the more motor units you can recruit and um, get in sync and firing at a faster speed, the more powerful, more dynamic you'll be essentially. And so, you know, phase five, um, which, you know, I, I tend to highlight this, just being, uh, being around for as long as I have you know, PAP is something that's—I uh, I think it's more common now than it was. For sure. But that style of training, you know, NASM was really one of the first certifying organizations to promote uh, a training uh, style that that would leverage post-activation potentiation. I mean, that that type of training had been utilized in, you know, Olympic sports and track and field and weightlifting. Um, going back for some time, but when you look at a, a fitness training system like OPT, nobody 20 years ago when OPT came out, nobody was really talking about doing max strength and power supersets, right? It was in, it was in some articles and in some literature. So I don't think NASM gets enough credit and Dr. You know, Mike Clark gets enough credit for some of the things that that um, he built into the model and, and really you know, was well ahead of his time and, um, in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, we talk about this all the time with things like foam rolling and stuff that we take for granted every day now in the gym was popularized in large part because of him and, and because of, uh, NASM and OPT and, and the system that, um, that he created and that, and that we, you know, built into our, our education and curriculum. And so, yeah, PAP there's a variety of different ways to do it. Uh, obviously, in our phase five, uh, we do the super, the back-to-back superset. And for those of you, just uh, so we don't get more comments, uh, NASM uses the term superset uh, kind of generally is two exercises performed back-to-back. Uh, in this case, we're doing it for the same muscle group, uh, whereas I think the traditional use of the term superset is for antagonistic or opposing muscle groups. And, and the term compound set is, is utilized for how we uh, kind of perform our um, our exercises back to back, but nonetheless, superset two exercises back to back. You can also perform uh, the terms are used interchangeably, but I think how we how we use it in the OPT model is really more of a form of contrast training, where you use contrasting loads. Uh, so in phase five, we have that max strength followed by uh, an explosive or power exercise. Uh, however. The other form of PAP is what's called complex training. Uh, those terms are used interchangeably, so you know, depending on what article or, or research you read, um, they, might, uh, they might be contradictory uh, to what I'm saying, but complex training would be where you do a circuit of maximum strength exercises, um, either one circuit or one round, or maybe all of your working sets for max strength, and then the second half of your training session you do uh, complementary power exercises for for each one. And um both of those have been shown, both of those styles um have been shown to be effective at improving uh power uh power potential and 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 performance. So nice. You know, yeah.
0: Well said, very clear. And uh the baby. Hopefully has not been thrown out with the bathwater that you didn't cover everything in in our time together right now that, that yeah. you're covering in the conference.
1: Exactly. what you're what what you're not getting right now is you're not gonna you're you're not getting me uh, sweating through uh, some sample routines. Oh, no. that is people love to
0: see that. Yeah, I'm gonna I'll show up for that. Don't worry, don't worry. I'll be there for that one. Uh, just real quick and in brief, can you talk about uh, again the whatever PR marketing team? put this next one together for you but fantastic training with elastic resistance I think is what it's called so it yeah. is uh, that yeah. listen if I was good at writing titles like that I would present at more conferences because <laughs> these are spectacular
1: thank you yeah I think uh, I think this one actually was mine uh, I may have had a little help with uh, with this one too from April Peichel. Um yeah. she's fantastic. But um, yeah, you know, interestingly, this was a, a topic that had been selected and that I had um, uh, that I had submitted well before uh, COVID. And you know, I think it is timely though, as as uh, more people are electing to train at home and and, and probably realize that um, they can exercise and and still stay healthy and and do things at home. Um, elastic resistance training, leveraging uh, elastic resistance as a modality or as a training tool um, can be extremely effective uh, across a wide variety of goals and adaptations. So uh, in in my session at Optima this year, really highlighting the, the benefits and the use cases for elastic resistance training, talk a little bit about, you know, the differences between the different elastic resistance types uh, that you might see out there, whether it's tubes, flat bands, loops. Mm. Um, Fabric bands. Uh, there's a variety of different tools. Um, you know, I'll uh, spoiler alert. There's not much difference right. <laughs> between them, other than the form factor and and maybe you know a particular uh, type uh, may lend itself better to certain exercise applications. I'm
0: just gonna say, as a male that does not shave my legs. Yeah. The uh, the fabric loop is much more friendly and compliant yes. than those little rubber loops that I put around my knees.
1: Yes. Yeah, uh, I, I agree with you on that one. So, uh, yeah, so that's the premise with uh, with the fantastic training with elastic resistance. And um, so we get a little bit into kind of the 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 different use cases for elastic resistance training. You can utilize it for a wide variety of populations. It's inexpensive. It's portable. I mean, there's a number of benefits to it. Um, you can use it as a as a form of uh, assistive uh, resistance to make exercises easier. You can use it as a uh, as a way to make exercises more challenging, obviously. Um, and so uh, we, we talk about that a little bit. Uh, one of the the interesting things about elastic resistance and know i was surprised to uh to learn as i was researching the topic is that most outcomes comparing let's say traditional forms of resistance let's say like a dumbbell or um even a cable machine uh elastic resistance training uh offers similar benefit physiological and biomechanical um, benefits and outcomes so um Typically, I think elastic resistance is viewed uh, with kind of a negative. Uh, there might be more of a negative stigma attached to it um, because it is so easy and, and accessible that you know maybe people don't realize that you can you can achieve some significant results and outcomes with it as a as a training modality and training tool. So um, you know maybe that's changing a, a little bit, but um, we we talk about that and then. the the remainder of the session, we'll get into how you can use elastic resistance in all facets of the NASM OPT model and corrective exercise model. So we talk about how it can be appropriate in corrective exercise um, all the way from inhibitory techniques through our um, integrated functional movements and dynamic movements. And then within the OPT model, uh, we have our new template where there's the warm up, so you can use it for you know uh, stretching techniques. You can use it for your activation, core balance stuff. You can use it for plyometrics and speed, agility, quickness in, in uh, different applications. And then certainly during resistance training, you can utilize it across all three phases of the OPT model. And so we get into that and, and highlight some. Uh, I'll highlight some different exercises and and. Different ways you can apply the uh, elastic resistance across different phases of the model and uh, different body parts and different movement patterns, because ultimately the uh, you know the variables are what dictate the adaptation, not the the tool. And yeah. so, I think if you you keep that in mind and you leverage our acute variable process, uh, looking at intensity, rep range. Environment and um, the uh, the volume of work that is what's going to determine how your client responds to their program, whether you use elastic resistance, cables, dumbbells, and, or any other uh, form of uh, of resistance. So, in a nutshell, uh, that is uh, that is the elastic resistance talk. Fantastic training with elastic resistance.
0: All right. Um, to go along with this uh, fantastic title, I, I want to put something out there that, that I find to be really interesting, and this is what I tend to do together, is I like doing elastic resistance with suspension training, I like doing those together. And the reason, the rationale behind that is that when you do elastic training, the very beginning part of your range of motion is easier, it's you know, as the band stretches, the intensity increases. Well, when you do suspension training, usually the opposite is true. The beginning parts of a range of motion is going to be easier, like a like a push-up. If you're doing a push-up on suspension trainer and you're down low, but as you push up, you become more and more incline. You are uh, you're not horizontal to 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 gravity anymore, you're becoming inclined. So the range of motion it doesn't make the exercise. Easy, but that in that range of motion, it's easier on your body. So the opposite is true with the band. So I love putting those together. And for people who are training at home, it's fantastic because in in some ways, you've got these machines that give you a good like isotonic. You get the same this tension that's the same all the way through the range of motion changes. Uh, and so because you've got this variable resistance. In elastic and in suspension, but on opposite sides, usually, mm-hmm. uh, it's not always the case for suspension, but, but usually I love doing that together. But I, I think this is a, a great topic. So great. In fact, Tony, that I'm doing a session at Optima called hit where we do uh, bands, body weights and towels. And because people are so used to doing bands and body weight, I spend more time doing the towel workout. So if y'all want to hit up the the band portion that I didn't really incorporate in my high-intensity band training, check out Tony's workouts because it's not about the tool, it's how it's implemented. So taking what he does, the exercises provided, and then adding some of the high-intensity protocols from mine – I think is a is it's a slam dunk. It's a slam. Come to both of our sessions is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I want to come to your session. I want to come to your session, too. Um, All right. So let me kick it over to our producer, Greg. Greg, this is not a normal time. We usually record this. So I do hope uh, we had some people pop up in in the, the show. And were there any questions that were asked for Tony?
2: Yeah, I, there were a few right. questions.
0: Greg, and, I see you're, he's spinning right now, so uh, I'm not sure Greg is actually going to be joining <laughs> us. I, I see and Greg. He sent you, me a message me? Um, having trouble connecting, which is currently... I see Greg. Obvious. Do you hey, see him? I see Greg, yeah. Oh, can, he, that can, you a, me, <laughs> can you hear me, My connection that's off.
2: All right, uh, so Ashley in the chat, chat wants to know, what is your favorite resistance band workout or exercise?
1: Oh goodness! Well, um, there's many, but uh, I think so. You should come to the session. I've, uh, I think I've highlighted some of my favorites in the session. But um, I'm a big fan of using bands, uh, mini bands in particular, for uh, glute, um, essentially a glute activation warm up. So there's a sequence. Uh, using band-resisted clamshells, band-resisted side-lying hip abduction, um, band-resisted glute bridges, and then followed with some quadruped donkey kicks. Um, That's kind of our the ground-based piece, and then from there get into some lateral band walking and forward and backward band walking. So um, I'm partial to that. I tend to like that, but uh, really, I, I think it just depends on depends on the the phase or style of training depends on what body part I'm, I'm emphasizing in terms of what my favorite exercise is. But that's uh that's a pretty common sequence that uh, that I'll implement with a number of clients uh, just based on their goals and based on, on what they need from a, a movement perspective.
0: All right. What else you got, Greg?
1: Actually, I can answer
2: this next. one a lot of people in the chat are asking, how can they attend both yours and, and Tony's uh, yeah, nice. session? Right. So, so I'll take this one. You can actually click the link in the description of today's show, or head to nesmoptima.com, register for the NESM Optima Virtual Conference, which will run next week, October 13th through the 16th. They're day-long, uh, video sessions. You can attend multiple. Uh, sessions during those days. You can also watch them on demand for uh, up to 30 days after the event concludes as well. And then uh, you can earn up to 2.0 CEUs, uh, Continuing Education Units, as well for attending the conference. So highly recommend it, especially if you've enjoyed listening to Tony uh, and Rick today. Uh, I I recommend going to both of their sessions. I've experienced their sessions at Optima before, and, and both are fantastic. And I'm not just saying that because I'm here on the show with them. I'm saying it because I actually mean it. So Oh, thanks. thanks
0: <laughs> Appreciate that, Greg. Uh, Tony, any, um, any way that people may want to keep up with you that they can do so social media, email address, things like that.
1: Yeah. So, uh, admittedly I'm, I'm terrible on social media, but you're more than welcome to, uh, To find me there, Facebook, I'm I'm at Tony Ambler Wright. And then on Instagram, uh, my handle is at tamblerwright, no hyphen, so it's T-A-M-B-L-E-R-W-R-I-G-H-T. And then email, uh, certainly you can can reach me there. It's tony.amblerwright, again, all run together, no hyphen in there, at nasm.org. Perfect.
0: Yeah. all right man well thank you so much for your contributions to the fitness industry what you've done throughout the years with nasm and uh and thanks for for being on the show I appreciate it I appreciate you my friend and I look forward to catching up to you with you face to face again someday I know it I know it
1: likewise man it's always a pleasure uh thanks to everybody who was listening and uh, look forward to seeing you next week at, at Optima
0: yeah, me too. Thank you so much, Tony Ambler Wright. My name is Rick Ritchie. You can hit me up on Instagram, direct message. It's dot or you can hit me up at email. It's rick.ritchie at nasm.org. Thank you so much. This has been the NASM CPT Podcast.